to the Alaskan Journey podcast. My name is Jamin Gurker. I'm, I'm an associate real estate broker in the state of Alaska, and my mission is to help you to build an intentional and significant legacy for yourself and your family by coaching you in real estate. And today, uh, I'm actually very lucky to be joined by John and Noelia, who've recently moved up from Montana, and they're going to be talking about their um, experience of moving here, what they think of kind of the South Central Alaska area, and um, we'll probably talk a little bit about some of the adventures they've had so far with the house. So, guys, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So let's let's go ahead and just jump into it here. So, um, what got you guys thinking about making the move from Montana? So uh, we wanted to come to Alaska for a long time. It's just waiting for the opportunity to arise. And as you know, when you're doing that, it always happens at a moment where you're not expecting it. So um, we wanted to come here for a long time. And then when a job opportunity um, came up, I, I told my wife, we'll go ahead and apply for it. And then I got the interview and I'm like, wow, we really have to start planning on if I get this position. <laughs> it's, and then I want Coming to be real. selected. So um We've always wanted to come here just because of all of the outdoor opportunities and um, how different Alaska is compared to the rest of the U.S. Yeah, and you guys have lived in a lot of different places too. So, yes. Yeah. So, so what are some different? Um, what are all the areas you've lived in so far? Florida, Alabama, Montana, and now Alaska. Uh, Florida was thirteen years. Alabama was a year and a half. Montana was almost ten. Alaska's permanent. Gotcha. <laughs> Sound uh, pretty committed there. So I've talked with multiple people who have come from Montana recently. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because like Montana, Alaska, they have a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. but I still see people like making the move to come up here to Alaska. Mm-hmm. So what's kind of the, the push factor, I guess, for why people are leaving Montana? I mean, Montana is a, is a great state to live in. I'm not undermining it in any way, shape, or form, but the differences between Alaska and Montana are strictly, you have more availability of doing all, you know, outside things. Hunting is different. Fishing is even different. Um, just going on a hike is less restrictive here versus going on a hike in Montana. God help you if you try to climb one of those steep cliffs. Um, <laughs> just going to the supermarket, it takes me now 12 minutes to go to Walmart where it would take me an hour and 45 when I lived in Montana. Really? Yes. Is that just the distance or is that the traffic? It is the distance between the areas. So where the big cities are located, you have Billings, Missoula, Great Falls, and Helena. And then you have the towns outside of that. And a lot of people choose, like we do, we chose to live in the smaller towns. But a small town is 40 miles away from Great Falls, Montana. Right. So you have to drive. In the winter, let's just say highway, snow, and Montana has her own climate mm-hmm. in the winter is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I lived in uh, Hardin and Great Falls, Montana for about 10 years. So yeah. pretty pretty well versed in those yeah, roads. There you go. Yeah, so you know how it gets in the winter. And 87 is just not the easiest road to take highway as far as winter-wise. It's nothing but ice. Montana loves to ice her roads over. That's Big it. difference also in the economy. Um, Montana is 99% agricultural, and because of that, that's why the, the small towns are out in the middle of nowhere because that's all you know wheat fields. So, and, and 
those the families that own those wheat fields, they're not selling it for no amount of money in the world. So it's almost like being in an ocean of wheat. You have this little small town and then, you know, 40, 50 miles in all directions of nothing but wheat fields. And that also affects the way things work as far as like stores and stuff like that. Um, not a lot of choice. Um, not in the stuff that you do get, it's all pretty much the same, no matter where, you know, which town you go to, it's all pretty much the same, not a lot of variety, mm -hmm. and there's not a lot of, um, anybody really coming into Montana, and right now they have a big boom in second homes, a lot of people buying second homes, but they're only there a couple months during the summer, and then they leave, it doesn't really help the economy out, so Montana is just so far different than Alaska, which... Um, one thing that when you get here, um, and you've talked about this before, everybody that we meet, almost everybody is from somewhere else. We, you only meet a handful of true native Alaskans that have, was born here, raised here, lived here their entire life. All yeah. the people that we meet just in the Matsu Valley and in Anchorage, I would say 90% are, are mm -hmm. all, they all came here. And because of that they all they came here for a reason they, they wanted to be here they love being here they're much more active um, and involved so where Montana was very stagnant and closed-minded is it's a world of difference here you know I don't think I people realize how welcoming it is and how you're gonna meet people from we've met people from Alabama um, all over the Texas, yeah. all over the southeastern United States that are all here, and it, it's just completely different. Yeah, I mean, that really is kind of the spirit of the last frontier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it, uh, back in the line, pisses me off a little bit when mm -hmm. I read stuff about Florida, and they're like, oh, Florida, the last frontier. No, it's no, like, you, no, 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 no. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check you right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we lived there 13 years. Um, <laughs> Let me tell you, if I could tell you exactly how I explain it to people, I'm not going to publicize it on your podcast, <laughs> but it is the seventh depth of hell. <laughs> that's how deep it goes. It's too hot, too much traffic. Now Way it's too extremely people. overcrowded. Last time we visited, took our kids three hours in and they were like, can we go? We ended up leaving two to three days early because they could not tolerate it. It was too much, too crowded. Our kids don't like the beach. They'd rather jump in a river or a lake somewhere <laughs> that doesn't have snakes, alligators, crocodiles, anything that's going to eat you. Yeah, the, the list of things that are going to kill you are um, pretty extensive. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. extensive. Florida. Yeah. Yes. So when did, was there a something that got you guys thinking initially about Alaska? Or was it just kind of the, the idea of it and stuff you'd no, seen the online? Best, the, the best thing that Alaska ever did was put money into the Discovery Channel. You know, they <laughs> yeah. did all of those shows. Pretty much. To, because before that, you might see a, you know, like in the 90s, early 2000s, there'd be a fishing show or something or a hunting show um, that might do an episode here. But it wasn't until the Discovery started filming all of those shows that showed, you know, the way Alaska was. Um, yeah, that's how we first started watching it, you know maybe 2010, 2011, when those shows started coming out, um, you know, you look at the background and you see the infrastructure, you see all the people and, and the way that they live. Um, so we were, we, that's what got us thinking about Anchorage. And then, but it is, 
difficult because I'm a federal employee. It's difficult to find positions up here if you want to remain a federal employee because mm-hmm. it's limited just to really Anchorage, except for like park service and stuff like that. But you know, that's what got us interested in coming up here and then just doing um, some research and then talking to people that I know that um, was either stationed up here at some point or um, had spent time up here and then we're like, yeah, we want to we wanna do that. And that's another thing. The Air Force Base, another thing, uh, especially if anybody is retired military um, or even people that are active duty that may have the ability to get orders to Jaber. Jaber is gigantic. Um, it helps drive the economy here. Um, I see people all over the Matsu Valley filling up their vehicles in uniform. So they're choosing, you know, to, to not live on base and they're choosing to come out to the Matsu Valley. Um, and you see that a lot. So it's just so much to offer, at least here, you know, in, in this area. Right, right. So kind of going back a little bit to like the, the Discovery Channel and all those shows out yeah. there. Um, how does Alaska compare to what was presented to what it's actually like now that you guys are here? Are you, you think it's more or less accurate or was there cr- some creative license that was taken in some instances? I mean, in any show that you watch, there's always going to be some point of creative license, of course, because creativity has a free mind of its own. It'll go either way. Um, but as far as depiction of places and them exposing the true scenery of how it actually looks, you know, not CGIing a mountain or a lake or a river or someone fishing. Um, the truth of it, you know, even though there is rules, regulations, wherever you go, seeing AST, it, it was still cool to us because we got to see the places, more of the locations, you know, the hidden up in the woods places. Um, we were able to see them going up the mountains, the helicopters taking rescue flights and all of that. But it's just interesting how it naturally looks on its own because Alaska does hold a amazing natural beauty of its own. And I think the other show that, as a born and raised New Yorker, I've always loved living outside of country. I, I just wanted to get out of the city. I never liked it, even as a little girl. So Port Protection was the one that caught my attention most, which I hope to visit one day living up here. But it's just that type of lifestyle and knowing that you can actually do that in Alaska versus in the lower 48 where subsistence living is a completely different ballpark. Because you got, you have to play within the rules and regulations of wherever you're living. Right. And Alaska gives you some, you have more of a bit of freedom to do it here as you want, as you learn, as you're taught. So I, it did help as far as being able to see how Alaska is and the people. But we don't judge based off of what we watch on a TV show. Right, yeah, right. No. But the <laughs> subsistence part of it um, is 100% true. I have a lot of coworkers now that I've met, and they don't buy meat at all. Yeah. You know, between um, all the salmon opportunities, uh, halibut opportunities, crab, you know, uh, clams. Right. Not really. A lot of them, they do hunt, but that's like, they don't rely on that. Yeah. You know, they, just from the, the fishing and the fact that you can go out at low tide and just pick up Dungeness crab, you know, just walk down the beach and pick up Dungeness crab or clams or other things, you know, that's that's what they do. And I, the first thing everybody told me is, hey, John, you guys have to get the biggest freezer. 
that you can get. Like, don't think, ah, oh, this will do. Whatever you think it do, you need to double it. Because uh, one, one machine was like, because I have, like, a, my two-car garage, one whole side of it is nothing but freezers. Because uh, they they are able to get, she has a small boat, not like, you know, Florida, you have to have a boat, like a real boat. If you're going to go fishing out in the ocean, you, you need like a 25 to 38 footer. Small yacht. Yeah, you a huge a boat. Yeah. Here, people go out, you know, um, in the Cook Inlet, and what we would consider a bass boat in the south during the summer, because it's, the waves aren't that big. And, you know, she said on average they bring in 800 to 1,200 pounds of fish a year, you know, just during the fishing season in the summer. They just go out almost every weekend, go out, go fishing. And just the amount of fish that they're able to, to harvest is just unheard of. It's so, also cheaper here. Yeah. yeah. So, so people slightly, yeah. can <laughs> do that. And you can, if you like seafood, Basically, get everything enough for you, and they do it even for family because they have family members that can't fish. They get enough, you know, for grandma, grandpa, and other people as well, without even you know talking about hunting, you know, doing big game hunting. So that part of it is, I think, very accurate because I've met a lot of people that live in the city in Anchorage, and they're able to do that to where they're hardly ever buying meat, you know, at the grocery store. Yeah, I mean that's that that's pretty common up here because that is kind of the kind of the type of people that usually get attracted right. to coming up here. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people are more into it than others on the the fishing. I personally hardly do any sports fishing. Uh, you will probably not find me ever on the Russian River trying to <laughs> yeah. trying to, trying to wrangle one salmon. It it bugs me into no daylights to spend all day like trying to seduce a salmon with like this lure, yeah. getting it to bite on. No, I'm just gonna go down to the Kasilov or Kenai, take the dip net and catch twenty of them at one time. <laughs> yeah, and there is no finesse. No sport to it whatsoever. Yeah. Just brute force and quickly processing salmon. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's what a lot of people do. They they use the dip net season. Um, there's another little fish. Uh, maybe you know what it's called. I can't remember. There's a small fish similar to like a sardine or a herring. Oh, is that the the, the grayling? Um, no, it's not a grayling. There's it's, it's not oh, a I, word for it. Wow, oh, I'm I'm picturing it. I, I just yeah. can't. But there's remember. this other small fish, like a herring. Um, people can look up, and um, they have a run as well, and it's a dip net fishery, and, you know, you can literally get five or six five-gallon buckets full yeah, in a day, and same thing. They, they process them through. Everybody here, um, you know, it, whether you freeze it, some people can them, some people marinate them, and, you know, vacuum pack, however you do it. Um, they, they, it's a huge part of what people do, you know, during the summer, and they look forward to it. And you know, it's it's something that an entire family can do, like the the, the dip netting. You don't have to have tons of specialized equipment, uh, be the best fisher person in the world, and and all of that stuff. You know, you can just use the dip net fishery and still be able to get a ton of fish. Um, another thing I've heard. For, I don't know if this is true, but they are, they, everybody's told me that the saltwater fish in the inlet are so aggressive that basically you just need like a little spoon. And, you know, you can catch tons of fish just with a simple Ooh, little spoon. Yeah, and they don't even have like 
from in Florida, you know, depending on the weather and the moon cycle, you have like 50 different types of lures, all these different colors, and you're out there in Montana, if you're not using the right fly during the right week, and depending on the river, depending yeah. on the river you won't catch it, but here they're like, um, I have like six spoons, and then we just go out and throw them out like crazy, and at the end of the day, we have a bunch of fish, so. <laughs> <laughs> and if you go for stuff like pike, like, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. If you've ever gone for pike, highly, if you haven't, I highly recommend it, but no, yeah. absolutely. And that's one other quick thing. The number of lakes, they they say, you know, Massey Valley has a bunch of lakes, but again, you have no idea how many. And you don't have to have anything but a canoe. You could buy a $500 plastic canoe, and like you said, pike and little rainbow trout, stuff like that, go fishing on the lakes, have all the fun that you want with a simple canoe. You don't even have to have a motorboat. You don't have to have any of that. To be able to, uh, you know, be able to reach the outdoor recreation. You see so many people when you drive, when you're living here, with Subaru station wagons with their canoe on the top, <laughs> driving around, and you know they're going out, you know, having fun. It doesn't take a lot of specialized equipment. There's access. That's another thing that's a problem in Montana. Access in waterways here. There's tons of access. Um, you know, Montana, if you park on the side of the road and you go to a lake, you'll come back and they will tow your vehicle, giving you a ticket. Here, you know, you go past Mirror Lake and there are people parked, you know, for yeah, half a mile yeah. in every direction, every piece of grass that you could find. Some was parked on. Mm -hmm. And everybody is out there, you know, having fun. And it's just, again, it's just everything is right there and it's not expensive. It doesn't cost you tons of money. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And I mean, um, I mean, I'll mean, i also say if you're um, looking for pike fishing, Redshirt is probably going to be the best place to go. Red like shirt? I've, um, okay. yeah, Redshirt Lake, like I've pulled like a two and a half foot pike out of there before. Oh. Yeah, well, that one was funny too because um, I was out there with my, my brothers and um, my brother was in another canoe. He cast in one spot, and I was, you know, just being funny and like cast right next to his. And I was like, you know, <laughs> ha ha, you know, whatever. But no, that's when like the big pike sh showed up and like bit in my lure, <laughs> and I caught that. So yeah, red shirt, great place to go. Is your uh, brother still talking to you? He's he's still talking. It took a while. <laughs> that was a year and a half ago. We're talking now. <laughs> All right, so what were some of the initial challenges you guys had when you were moving up here? Finding an Airbnb. <laughs> um, they go very quickly. They're booked very fast. So for any family that's moving up and cannot is not moving into their home directly from one place to another, I recommend to look at Airbnbs. They're actually priced very good. Um, some are over dramatically expensive, some are not. Um, but we found one, it was a cute little cabin, cute little area in Palmer, super great. Um, we had a cabin experience as well for the week that we waited. So that was also interesting to be sleeping <laughs> in a cabin. Um, our kids got to experience that, but they enjoyed it. I mean, as far as I would say anybody moving up here, I recommend looking at Airbnb. You'll have a kitchen. You'll have the comfortability of being able to cook and save money that way, you know, 
while you're waiting to get into your location or home if you have to wait at all. Yeah, I mean, also, if you're doing Airbnb, it's uh, it's good as well, because then you get the opportunity to actually live in a neighborhood for a little yes, bit. Yes, yes, that's another thing. Yeah, so, I mean, unless it's just pure convenience and you just need to be in and out, like, hotel's probably going to be a good option. If mm-hmm. you're doing any kind of moving, trying to get a sense for the area, like, the Airbnb is the closest thing you get to a cheap coat. Yeah, <laughs> and also, they have to make sure that depending... Anyone moving up has to make sure they time events in Alaska versus hotel spaces. Because any event out here, the hotels go quick. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure that you're smart about it. You have to tag team it, pretty much. You have to make sure you watch the calendar. And ta- if you stay in Wasilla, you definitely have to go to the commerce um, page, website, Facebook page. doesn't matter. Look up the events that are happening. Because if it's a big event... And people are bringing in family. If they don't fit with the campers, they're going to a hotel. So make sure you plan ahead. Yep. Yeah, that uh, that could be a slight problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, if I recall correctly, you guys drove up here on the Alcan. Oh yes. yeah. How uh, how was that? Because um, I mean, at least you guys were starting in Montana. <laughs> yes. so I've known other people that started literally in Florida and made the journey from there. Okay, so I. John and I have crossed the U.S. continental state four times driving. Um, driving the Alcan in the summer after winter has passed and the dry heat, the ice heaps have all settled, all of that. Listen, Canada's a great country, but they really need to work on their construction on the road. There's certain parts where we had to drive in the middle of the road mm-hmm. because the truck and the trailers were tilted. Wherever there was a big ice heap, if it sunk down, they would leave that side sunk. They would fix the crack, but the sunken road remained sunken. So you, you're kind of driving on a teeter, you feel, and you think your trailer's going to o- go over anything. We didn't have any of those problems, you know, luckily... I just threw my truck in the middle and said, I'm a truck driver for the next couple of hours. Um, Dirt road. The portions of the dirt road on the Alcan are complete, true 100% hard-packed dirt road, but the dust is super, super fine. It will get into your trailers. Maybe minimally, but sometimes a lot. Because we had one trailer where it flooded the trailer. And then the other trailer, just a little bit area. Um, Don't drive with your windows open on those roads. Uh, Enjoy the views. The bison herd, the wild range bison herd, we saw it. So our children were able to see four baby bison playing. So that was cool. We saw about 12 bears. Nice. On the side of the road. (laughs) It's quite interesting. One set was a baby black bear and a brown bear cub. Okay. Playing together. So we kind of stopped and pulled over just at the oddity of that one because eventually they're going to kill each other. <laughs> That's a yeah, future date. Yeah. Like, play nice now. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. The rivers are absolutely gorgeous to look at. Take pictures. If you are going to drive on the Alcan, I advise you bring extra gas. Make sure you have your gas cans for backup. If you have an EcoBoost vehicle. Any vehicle that needs premium. Uh, so if you have a, a European vehicle that requires premium, 
There is hardly no premium at all. No. Once you get past the southern parts of Alberta, you need to buy a large stash of Octane Booster. Yeah. So every time you fill up, you can put Octane Boost in. That's a really good point. Because you're driving like a Beamer or Mercedes. Mercedes. Yeah. It's going to be a rough yeah. road. Anything that yeah. requires that type of gas. And you have to make sure when you stop, if you see a gas station, not all of them are as expected. Some of them do work. Some of them are just there, I swear, for decoration purposes. Um, we realize also when we stopped in certain gas stations, you they do the service. You don't, they fill it up for you. So you have to get used to that. Um, overall, it was a fun experience. I mean, except for the fact that the road was terrible in some portions. Yeah, and I was talking about that with somebody actually earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And um, was it like the last hundred miles before getting into yeah, Alaska? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It, most of it yeah. is just awesome. Mo like the southern central Canada, even northern Alberta, all of that is just amazing, and it's just like driving anywhere in the U.S. Um, I highly, I would highly recommend everybody to do it um, because if you just fly here, you're not getting the experience of moving to Alaska. You just took a flight. You know that's not moving to Alaska. You know, moving to Alaska is is getting to experience. You know, going through Canada, and also especially for people that haven't really been outside of the United States before in their life, just seeing how different Canada is, you know, to the United States and how it's, there's some similarities, but there's so many differences yeah. that you're going to pick up on and, and you're going to appreciate certain things in the U.S. and you're going to see that there's certain things that you might like about Canada. Speed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. speed more. Yeah, yeah. So the slow speed limits so everywhere. So a speed limit here at 65 will not bother you when you have to go 35. And 45. And 45 on a highway. Yeah, I really don't want to get pulled over in Canada. No, too. you like, don't. Oh, you <laughs> don't. Just make sure you stay two under at tops. I stay two. We stay two under because we were told by a couple of people in Montana before we left, do not go even near the speed limit. Do not, if it says 65, stay under. If it says 40, stay two under. Always stay two under. Because if you're two under, if they're monitoring, they won't bother you. But if you're going, if you're teetering close and go one over, it's the quickest way for them to pull you over. And then they will literally take everything out of your, out of your vehicle uh, and put it on the side of the road. They will, they will just pull unload your entire trailer if you have a camper or something like that they're gonna go through it because to them you know this is the highest likelihood of catching a drug trafficker or a human trafficker or anything like that so they will just tear your stuff apart and you'll be there for hours waiting for them to stop so avoid that <laughs> yeah yeah, and I, I could say some stuff about that, but I'll, uh, <laughs> I might have to drive through Canada at some point, so I'll be nice. So, yeah, I one thing I, I found out earlier this week, like about 100 miles from Canada to the Alaskan border, there was actually a deal with a former administration that they would like pay Canada a certain amount for them to go through and like actually repair and maintain and 
do this stuff to that road that was you know needed mm -hmm. and the canadians just said well we don't want to do anything with this because it's not benefiting us and it's expensive so the former administration was going to come in like just give them the money to do it because it's primarily americans using that road anyway but um, the current administration came in and we kind of nixed that so yeah we're stuck with the roads that are a little dodgy. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you, they went out, they tarred potholes, but it's like letting Speedy Gonzalez on the wheel trying to reach the pedals to the bottom mm -hmm. because it, it looks like a, a Jackson Pollock's painting of tar on the road, pretty much. It was just thrown out there. And your truck is literally you better be paying attention. Yeah. You better yeah. be. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to yes. speed on the Alcan no, itself. No, you're not. Okay, no matter least, what. Not you, especially if you're not to, if you're towing anything or yeah, you have a large no. vehicle just because there's no shoulder. A lot of that area is just yeah. mud, drop off. So if you do go off the road, you're going to be sunk down to the frame of the vehicle. And, and there is signs on the Alcan that tell you. Emergency services are not available in this area. It could take up to three hours for someone to reach it. Yeah, been there, done that. Yeah, so <laughs> bring a bring a sat phone if it's a concern. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes, and just be slow. But uh, yeah, to me, part of the experience, I think that people should do it. Um, also, we found out if you want to do the ferry and ship your vehicle up, you better do that like a year in advance. Because when we went to even look at it. It was completely sold out. There was no available space from, it was like June until October, basically. It was completely booked, nothing available. So. And I think the largest size of a trailer that you can get on the ferry is a 6x10. A 7x14 and a 7x16 make your vehicle too big. Too long. The maximum yeah. size that you can do, I believe, is 21 feet for both vehicle and trailer. Anything longer than that, they're not going to take. Yeah, I mean the ferry, the ferry's challenging right now because it is. yeah, because you because of the ships, the vessels that are out of service in in the shop at the moment, mm -hmm. they usually make the route all the way from Bellingham up to Valdez or Whittier. Like those are in the shop. Yeah, those have been cut. Yeah, so a lot of the route you have, like you get dropped off. I think it's like Ketchikan or Skagway, and you have to like drive through yeah. Canada anyway. Yeah. So. It's still the yeah. same thing. I it's mean, like, why least, bother? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why bother? Just take the Alcan. I mean, it's an experience. It's interesting. You get to see places in Canada. You get to eat different food. Um, it's not a bad trip to make, honestly. I mean, we did it with four kids, and it was an experience of a lifetime for them. Still alive, yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and they are still alive, yes. Yeah. What was the border crossing like? So for we... us, <laughs> it's different. We have a cheat code. We have a so <laughs> if you take Don't tell everybody though everybody I might use it. <laughs> if you take I fifteen up through Montana to Sweetgrass, which is one of their bit the only one that's busier than that is the one in New York and the one in Seattle that goes yeah. through Vancouver. Those three are extremely busy, long lines. But if you just type into Google, you know U.S. Canada border crossings. You will see a bunch of them that are in the middle of nowhere on small highways that go up, and they're not open 24 hours. Most of them are only manned four to six hours a day. But if you choose any of those, it is super easy because they don't get a lot of traffic. No. Um, it you would 
on paper, like if you go by with the GPS, it will tell you that it's going to add an hour to your trip. But the reality is, is you're going to be sitting two hours at the main one waiting to get through. It's actually quicker. So if you're going through Montana, there's one on the left, there's one on the right um, that you can see by looking at Google. We chose the one on the right, um, and it was like there's no one there. Just skated it on was, through. Yeah, we it went took five minutes. Yeah, the guy he barely five sees minutes. any traffic. Um, He's just he happy to see very someone. Laid, yeah, he was yeah. very laid He's back. Very happy. He just asked a couple of questions. He's like, okay, you're good to go. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Like we were told we had to bring the moving, con- the purchase shipping contract, the shipping manifest. You had to make sure you had everything counted, labeled, everything. Like I was sporadic for a moment when the, preparing for this move because I wanted to make sure that they did not empty out both of our trailers. To have us, you know, make us and force us to re-put everything back in. It's the easiest crossing ever. I don't want anybody to ask me the name because I'm not giving it up. But <laughs> if Google you go to the small, not popular ones, your crossing will be easier. Just if anyone has any guns, the best recommendation we can give don't break them. Just ship them. Just, Just ship them. You have to. You have to claim them. So then you have to go through that process. Avoid the claiming. If if it's not a necessary thing, if it's not for your job, and you don't need it at the current moment, and you can do without it just for a couple of weeks, don't do it. Alaska Airlines will accept them on their flights. You just have to check them in and get that taken care of that way. You can fly, pick them up, and bring them back. Yeah, that's the one thing that um, I was recommended is, that, like, if you – are going to the lower 48 and you know that you're going to be flying down there in the future, leave your guns with a family member because you can bring a couple of them with you back. Um, and when you fly back, you just have to put it in your checked luggage. So if you know, hey, I'm going to be visiting family, um, it's easy just to, the next time you fly back to the lower 48, get a couple of your guns, put them in your, you know, your checked baggage. Of course, they got to be unloaded, but you but there aren't any restrictions or anything. And then fly them back up and bring them back with you, um, and do it that way. If you don't have to have them all, you know, right. And if you're like me, where I have a huge collection, you know, shipping was going to cost thousands of dollars. You know, it was easier for me to just uh, uh, leave them there with family, and then as we visit. You know, we will fly them up. Bring a couple. Up yeah, at a time. every time right. we go, and and just do it that way. Is there a limit on how many guns you can bring up yes. on the uh, Alaska Airlines? Okay. So for Alaska Airlines, I think no, it's, 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 it's not really a limit. It's as far as what type of gun you're coming. A lot of people come hunting to Alaska. Right. Yeah. So a lot of them use Alaska Airlines. They just don't Size want it of to the gun be, will matter. Um, you can't just put it in a gun case, yeah. put a lock on it, and, and do it that way. They want it to be inside of something. So like if you have a big duffel bag, where you can um, put, you know, three of the, the hard case rifle containers inside the duffel bag and then fill it up with your clothes, that's perfectly fine. There's no, it, there's no limits that way. It's just that they, they want it to be, you know, concealed. Handguns are, are super easy because they're so small. I mean, it's easy to put throw them, the them case, into your yeah. regular suitcase um, and fly them back. But uh, for rifles, you, they just don't want... It to be tempting for someone in the airport to see, oh, look, that is a very expensive rifle, and then get tempted and 
taking it off the conveyor belt. Gotcha. So trying to now make it easy for somebody to stumble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Outstanding. All right. Well, I'm glad to hear you guys definitely uh, definitely made it through the Alcan fairly uh, fairly simply. I've uh, interviewed people for years at this point about the Alcan and getting through. I think it kind of comes down almost to like who's in a good mood that day. It really <laughs> like, does. It really does because when we hit the Canadian side once we were coming through, um, it uh, he looked like he was mean. So I just answered the questions. He's like, okay, you're clear to go. But on the Canadian side, when you are about to enter to come through from there to Alaska, you have to make sure you have your vehicle, your updated and current vehicle registration because they will want something with your VIN number to make sure that your vehicle's not stolen. And, of course, your passport card or your passport itself. But that's on the American when you're coming back into the U.S. Yeah, when you're mm-hmm. coming back into the U.S. Yeah, they were much more stringent funny. than the Canadians yeah. were um, <laughs> when we were, when we were going. You're coming into Canada. It's a whole different story. When you're leaving Canada, eh. And I also think it has, like you said, has to do with the time of year as well. So when yeah. we came in June, we missed the caravan of RVs that come up you know, right in the beginning to, towards, you know, in the month of May. So we didn't experience the long traffic jams that other no. people that we've talked to had experienced because we were right in the middle. Everybody was already up in Alaska. And then I had a friend that, um, that came up in September where the trek of people coming back down and, mm. you know, he... So every restaurant was full, every gas station had a line, there was no way to get a hotel. So theirs was horrible, their experience coming up where we didn't see that because we came in June and pretty much everybody was already here. So I would yeah. also say that the timing of it, um, you know, don't try it. not to, yeah, if you have to do it, you have to do it, but like May and... Uh, late August, early September seems to be the busiest months on the Alcan, and I can see why that yeah. would be a horrible experience to, because we didn't see that. We came up right before the 4th of July, so right. it, was, it wasn't too bad, honestly. I mean, half of the entire trip, the coincidence, the funny thing about it is there was five other families coming up at the same time. So at any point in given time, at any stop, we would bump into these yeah. families. <laughs> and um, we stopped for gas and dinner one evening. And it's funny because we walk in and they're all in there and we just all started laughing. Because every hotel, we would see one or two of them. Or every restaurant, we would see each other. So at some point, it just kept to go. Or they would pass us or we would pass them or get ahead. Yeah, it's like there's only really one route. So. Exactly, yeah. there's only one route. But it's pretty interesting how you, uh, you know, you, you end up meeting people that way. But it's an experience, again, like I said. I just, you know, just have fun and take, it, take your time. Take a lot of pictures, but take your time. <laughs> Absolutely. So after you guys got here... How are the houses in Alaska different from where you've seen houses in, like, other parts of the lower 48? <laughs> so, the houses here, while we were looking, and we talked to you about it, of course, during mm-hmm. the time frame, while we looked, we noticed that in Alaska, there's certain things that are completely different than in the lower 48. Like, we own, in Alabama, we own the Southern Colonial Home. 
on nearly two acres with a pool. It was massive. It was like 3,000 square feet. Up here, houses tend to be smaller, but they have property. So we noticed that, one, depending on the build, the year the house was built, the insulation towards winter, it will help depending on when it was built, mm -hmm. how it was built, and what the heating sources are. So that's one thing. Natural gas is something that's very common up here, so mm -hmm. we've also learned that, something we had to get used to stove-wise. <laughs> really? You guys didn't, uh, you just use electric? Mm -hmm. Electric is okay. popular in the uh, lower 48. Gas okay. is not used. Apparently, it's not something that people consider themselves to be extremely knowledgeable on. Interesting. So okay. blowing up stoves and burning houses down is very common in the lower 48 when there's natural gas involved. So it's not super popular. Montana does have some areas to where they do use natural gas, but it's very but even then they, don't have, they have electric stoves. Yes. They have they just use it for heat basically. Right. Yeah. They yeah. they don't use it for any of the uh, other appliances. No. So here to have everything natural gas, yeah. the water heater, the dryer, it, it's you know completely You have different. to get acclimated to it because you can shrink your clothes very quickly. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um it's just the differences in the in the structure, the way the houses are built, but also in the size. I think the sizes of the houses matter. Living in the houses that we've lived in compared to the one that we are in now, it's smaller, but the structure of it, it appeases. Here, they think about families, and they think about what's coming up in winter. Right. So you have, they put the rooms separate on purpose. So you have kids on the lower level, and then you have parents on the upper level. And anybody coming from the lower 48, Southern background, well, it's yeah. going to seem weird to them until winter gets here. And winter's not even here. And to us, it's ha it has become the most comfortable thing in the world. Our kids are downstairs in their own area. So they, they're secluded in their rooms, making all the noise they want, watching TV, laughing, whatever, playing around. We're upstairs. And now we're saying 50 sanity, quiet, watching our own TV show. You've got your own little safe house up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel that depending also the area of where you're at and depending on the builder within that area, no matter the time frame, some, I, believe, I feel that builders here build with a family in mind. And here, yeah. heating is the most important yes. thing. And you see a lot of open concept spaces, no yes. matter what year the house, even if it was a house that was built in the 70s, and even the newer houses, a lot of open concept because it's easier to heat. Uh, in the lower 48, people ha don't like those because they feel they're too, um, you know, too loud and they want everything blocked off, but it's hard to heat your house with everything you know blocked they off have walls so it is different um and you can't get away from every house that we looked at was open concept i mean that's just the way that it's yeah we asked that it's done here and they they're all built the same and the other thing is is uh in the lower 48 um there are people they're like if i could buy a house that didn't have a single window i would be happy you know, windows, you don't even think about windows. They're just pretty much there. And, you know, here they place windows. They think about where the windows are placed. Yes. Um, they place them so that you get the natural light coming in so that, you know, during the summer there is a lot of natural light. And it's something you have to get used to. 
um, to where you know in in the we lower forty eight. You know, people have shades and they have heavy curtains mm-hmm. and you never even touch your windows. You know, you don't open. You don't have the views, you know, why you want to look at the side of your neighbor's house. But here, it's just a completely different relationship. So that's something that we had to, you know, the, to get used to. Is, I have to get used to. I'm a curtain woman. Yeah, that's um, going to be, uh, you guys have floor to like high ceiling windows yeah. so that's yeah. gonna be a f- small fortune in curtains yeah yeah i mean <laughs> we have curtains from the prior house but he i he says he's like we have shades and in the winter it's not gonna be good condensation's gonna be bad i'm like we need curtains privacy is a must but nobody really comes around your house unless they're snooping for stuff that they don't want to be snooping for so yeah, I mean, most people are probably more concerned about you snooping on them than the other way around. Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And the way, you know, it also depends, too, on how, like, where you buy the house and where it's located. Because you might have a neighbor, but your neighbor's not going to be directly on top of you, which is another thing that we did notice here. Houses are not built on top of each other. Well, so some you don't have to are. knock. Well, some are. But you don't have to knock, depending on where you look, and tell your neighbor, hey, can I get some sugar? You can just... You have to walk down there and be like, yeah. hey, could I borrow a cup of sugar? Or you can't borrow it. But, That's you know. another thing. <laughs> yeah. The variety of houses here, you can really get whatever you want. Yes. And coming from, you know, uh, the lower 48, even Florida, Alabama, Montana, all pretty much the same. It's um, it It's pretty much all the houses in the area are all pretty much the same. Unless, you know, you're a millionaire and you can build whatever you want. But for normal people, all the houses are all pretty much the same. Um, here, you have so many different styles, even within one neighborhood, um, and you have so many options. Like if you only want a small quarter of an acre yard, and you want to live in a little stamped out master plan community, you know they're here. You know you see them when you're driving around. You know now that we're driving around, and you know, we've stopped a couple of times. Because in the middle of all the woods, you see this little master plan community stamped out there, mm-hmm. and then we're we're like, why would you move to Alaska to live in you know a, a house like that? <laughs> you know, but I understand there's some people they don't want to do yard work, they don't want to be bothered with anything. You know, they just want to live in their house, and you know, they do have that here. Ryan, being able to like go out to nature and go find it yes. instead yes. of it being there. Yeah. Yeah. right on top of property you. property and on yeah. top of you, yeah. But then yeah. also, you know, you have houses, you know, developments that are coming in um, all over the Matsu Valley to where the builders are making sure that every lot is at least one to one and a half acres so the houses are spread out more, but you're still in a neighborhood. You know, it, it's, you know, the houses are all lined up. You have the winding roads that are going through, but... Every house is sitting on an acre, so if you want the larger yard, if you want to be able to store your toys there, you don't want to have to pay to store your RV or your boat, um, you have the option of doing that and it not costing $800,000 to a million dollars. That's another thing. Uh, I know people that have lived here, here their entire life, and you brought this up, they see the prices and they're upset because 15 years ago they could have bought you know the same house that's you know 380,000 now was 180,000 you know you know 20 years ago but 
it's just Alaska is just now starting to catch up to the rest of the United States is because it's still far behind. If you look at houses um, in Florida, Montana, way more expensive than a comparable house here. Tennessee is about the cheapest state that you can find in the mm-hmm. 48 right now. Yeah, and yeah. and and that's even becoming a popular hotspot now. Yeah, so that's on borrowed time. Yeah, <laughs> it, is. Yeah, it, is. it is. Because but, we have friends think... in Kentucky who bought their house two and a half years ago, and they looked out. They got it for two hundred and fifty thousand with five acres. But she called me and she said, because we were talking about you know the move to Alaska, and she they're interested. They've always wanted to come up here as well, and. She looked at real estate prices and she goes, you know, some of them are hefty. I was like, not really, because a version of our house in Montana will cost you 800000 cleanly. And then there's rarely associations up here, too. Exactly. Which if you're looking at places like Florida, it's very rare you find something that's that not. does not have a homeowner's association. And that adds easily two fifty to like 500000 sometimes 1000 1200 yes. a month, depending yes. on which one it is. And yes. it's super restrictive, and that was one of my considerations when we you know, talked to you, and I told you, no homeowner's association. Pretty adamant about that. <laughs> Pretty now I, adamant. Now I think... Technically, we've um, got you guys into one that did have an association, if I recall correctly. Back then. Back then, yes. yes. And that was more for, I think it was like a community septic or community well. Yeah. Or like usually if we're looking at the Matsu Valley, that's usually what it's going to be. Um, people usually don't move to the Matsu Valley to go live in an association. No. Um, they've no. got uh, other communities like uh, Eagle River is known for a couple of those, yeah. um, which you know, great place, got some real estate over there, awesome, got family there. Um, Anchorage, they've got a couple of locations that are known for being HOA Nazis, and um, if you want that list, let me know. I can uh, I can send that over to you. That's what's great, <laughs> you do that, but that's what's awesome is that if that's what you want, and you want the house on, you know, 0.17 of an acre, to where you know you you literally have ten feet of yard to each side, front and back, and I know there's some people that that's you know that's fine. That's their jam. You have that here. If you want a and jungle as a backyard like we have, that's perfectly yeah. okay. Too. And if you want with a, a stagnant pond, there you with go. Stagnant with some, pond. Yeah. With some space that <laughs> isn't going to cost you you know eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand dollars. You have so many options. It's not just like one house, you know, when you're house hunting, there are tons of houses. Um, and thank God we had you to help with that because, you know, you, you go on there right choices. now, every single day it seems like there's 15 to 20 houses that get added. Um, and there's just such a wide variety and it's, and it's, it's just awesome. So um, that's my biggest thing is just the, the wide variety of, of what you, you have, have the ability to get. Yeah, and that's, that's something I'm really struck with whenever I go down to lower 48, too. It's like if you're really into these planned communities, there's some real strengths, there's some real weaknesses with yes. that model. But, um, yeah, especially the Matsu Valley. Like, I'm not trying to make this a plug just for the Matsu, but yeah. no, <laughs> you've but got I, a lot of you got a lot of variety here on what you can you do. You do, you do. And yeah. doing the research even before, you know, we got in contact with you, doing the research itself, we found – a lot of you know articles and real estate agents and other stuff that have helped other people that 
have stated, if you're looking for a place that doesn't have that and you have the freedom to do what you want with your property, you know, look at the Masu Valley area. And, you know, there's blogs. You can look them up on YouTube, mm-hmm. articles. I mean, you'll find them. Other people also say the same thing. There's places, yes, if you want, you know, to go in the middle of nowhere, live off the grid, Alaska's great for that. There's property out there. Go for it. But if you still want to live, you know, like us, we have kids, we're trying, you know, they're still growing up, going through the school system. You want to live in a place that's not too, too crowded or anything like that. I find that Wasilla's not super crowded. I like it. And the drive, that was the other thing. You hear online about how horrible the drive is from Anchorage, (laughs) uh, from Wasilla into Anchorage and its perspective. I, when we lived in Jacksonville, it took me an hour and 45 minutes to go 19 miles every day. I, 19 miles, and you know, you're going four to eight miles an hour the entire way. You're sitting at one light through 15 cycles, seeing it change red, green, red, green, before you finally get up to the light and can go through. Um, that's traffic. You know, the first time that I drove in to, to Anchorage in the morning, I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be horrible, and traffic is flowing. You're at the speed limit almost all of the time. It was super easy, and even going into Anchorage, it still was not a stressful, you know, experience. So um, when you read online and people say one thing is from the perspective of people that have lived here for a while, I guess to them that's the worst traffic ever. But when you come from an area with really bad traffic, you know, you're like, this is nothing, you know. Yeah, I I I want to buy a plane ticket for everyone complaining to Miami. Yes. Yes. See what they think of it after New that. York. Like I I made the mistake one time of I was going to West Palm Beach and um, I it was cheaper flights to go to Miami and then just drive up there. I was like, oh yeah, sure, that's fine. Let me you just know, do the that. Biggest mistake of your life, Jameson. Big mistake. <laughs> Holy cows! I showed up. It was around three o'clock or so in the oh. afternoon. Bad time. I had so many near run-ins. I was like, I'm so glad this is a rental. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. No, I mean, it's, we were just talking to someone, and we were having a conversation, and she was asking us, she was like, so how does the drive from Wasilla to Anchorage feel to you? I was like, not too bad. It's a breeze. No. I mean, I can get there. I flow with traffic. I'm like, I, it doesn't take me 45 minutes to an hour to get there. She's like, oh, it's a terrible drive. Taking, I'm like, you've never driven in Montana or any other place, <laughs> have you? I'm like, it's an hour 40 to get to the supermarket in Montana. Yeah, well, also, like, it, it is a little congested in Wasilla, getting through there. Just I, a little bit, I, yeah. I will, I will concede, um, concede that, but... I was actually talking with the the manager for the borough mm-hmm. um, just a couple of weeks ago on the live yes. stream. Yeah. I mean, they do have like plans for like bypassing it, and I don't know why the designers thought it was going to just make spur growth by forcing everyone to drive through downtown Wasilla. That was I've never understood that logic. And like, who's going to be stop at the light and be like, you know what? I feel like going to Target right now. You can avoid it once you learn the area. I've already learned you can take Trunk Road by the hospital, hit the road that goes behind, and just go around it. And even though it's more, it might add, you know, maybe a couple of miles in distance, it's way faster than those four lights. Because it's really just four traffic lights Mm -hmm. to where it gets congested. And you can go around it 
you know, like all the other people that know the area, they, they just go around the Also, we learn the time frame it happens, mm-hmm. so we just don't drive around that time frame. Yeah, yeah, I mean, also you get people coming and going, like, on the weekends, so. Yes. Yeah, be, uh, be smart, know that if it's the time you really want to go, you're probably not the only one wanting to leave at exactly. that time. <laughs> exactly, So what are some of the things that's going to take you guys the longest to get used to? From living here, I know for her it's the the light in the summer. The daylight. I I'm a dark sleeper. Yeah. And even with room darkening curtains in our bedroom because we have a chalet style house, the door has to be closed or I have to have a sleeping mask on. So it will be difficult to adapt to it. But the it's funny because your body automatically starts to shift on its own. When we first got here, it was very hard for me. I had to adapt to sleeping with a face mask again. So I got used to that. And then I noticed that my eating habits would change because of the day. Mm. So I would normally cook in the lower 48. By 7 o'clock, we'd be at dinner. We're sitting down. Settling in. Settling, yeah. Unwinding with the kids. Now it'll hit 9 o'clock. I haven't cooked. 10 o'clock, 10.30. All of us are eating. 11 o'clock, we're going to bed. It's very difficult to adapt to that light time, and I think that will be a transition of a year before you can actually get used to it. But because you come earlier, because we came up during the time frame that we came up, our kids can now sleep during the light. So it's you start getting used to it. Like now I can do it. I can fall asleep without having my face mask on. So I've gotten that down pat. But my eating habits are completely wild. <laughs> and that's, that's so, because, I mean, if you're eating at, like, 9, 10 o'clock, yeah. your body's not going to let you go to sleep for no, a no, while. So no. that's that's huge. Yeah. I mean, but for But because me, it's light outside, we want to just be outside constantly. I mean, we've spoken to you. You've been guarding and eating at 9.30 at night, so. Yeah, I have yeah. one project to finish at, like, 12.30, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, but there's still light out. So it's just something you have to adapt to and get used to. The other thing is um, mosquitoes. Oh, they're terrible, Jamie. They're terrible. Yeah, I think you guys, uh, we found out about that pond a little late. So. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> we found out after they drank half of our blood while we were looking at the house. Yeah, so uh, for everyone listening, what happened was they uh, they moved in. They've got like a fairly sizable lot that's got some woods on it. And apparently the previous owner went and dug like this little pond back there that they froze during the wintertime so his daughter could go skating on and just fill it up with water, no movement, Nothing. no dredging, no treatment for it, just stagnant water sitting out in the middle of the woods in Alaska. So it was... Um, the place to be if you were a mosquito, apparently, yeah. the past couple months. <laughs> and um, that's the other thing is making sure that you are prepared for the outdoors. When the sun goes away, the temperature changes by 20 degrees. And if you, that's something that from the lower 48, unless you live on a mountain in Colorado or something, um, you're not going to have a lot of experience with that. So you have to bring, you know, windbreakers, even during the summer, with you and for your kids. Because if weather does come in, um, it'll be 72 right now. And as soon as it gets cloudy and starts to rain, it's 50 degrees. 
So yeah. that's the other thing that, that that you have to get used to. You have to take that extra stuff with you because you know you, our kids are in shorts and flip flops and you know a, a, a short sleeve shirt, and then all of a sudden some clouds comes in and we get a little bit of rain, and they're all shivering and I'm freezing. <laughs> our youngest is like it's so cold, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> so even during go the on without year, me. Yeah, <laughs> She's like, I'll just go sit in the truck. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you, you have to just make sure that you bring that extra stuff with it. you to be prepared. And then we've already seen on the news here all the people that, you know, go out hiking and then they have to be rescued because they had light clothing, didn't bring anything else with them. And that now the temperature has swung and they get stranded and can't come back. Also, so. we've learned not to go hiking alone. Yeah. Never hike alone. That's uh, That's big. Yeah. And um, glad you hear they say that. I was actually thinking about doing that right after this, so <laughs> needed to hear that. But no hiking alone. <laughs> but, I'm not going with you, but no hiking alone. But kind of on the the whole rescue thing, like I mean, it can really happen to anyone. Yeah. Um, like uh, my uh, my older sister actually had to get like kiloed out of um, out of Crow Pass just a couple weeks ago. Um, like, yeah, me and my younger brother, we were going out there to see him. Like, Crow Pass is about 23 miles from Girdwood to Eagle River. Okay. And it's a solid, I think it's like a 2,000 foot, maybe 1,500. It's pretty, it's a high climb mm -hmm. from Girdwood to go further up. So they're there. It's raining the entire time. And they have no way to stay warm. And they get down to the river. They're like, there's no way we can get across that. Like, yeah. there is full-size trees getting just swept down the river. There's, like, there's no way we're even going to try that. But uh, my sister was, like, um, super cold, had hypothermia mm -hmm. at that point. And um, it gets worse because, like, my brother-in-law who was with her, um, her husband, like, his knee is messed up. Oh, no. So he can't move fast enough for her to stay warm. And he's too big of a guy for her to, like, help as a crutch right. so it's like man you guys were like the worst combination for each yes. other <laughs> so, like, i love you guys but don't do it again that was uh <laughs> not a good combo but they uh luckily they did get heloed out of there um, yeah. you know which is good because uh the alternative was my younger brother and i were gonna have to hike like 40 miles that day to because <laughs> we got about halfway they're not there turned around i was like okay we're gonna have to go drive to girdwood hike up that pass, down that pass, find them, go up that pass and down that pass again. Oh man, four thousand feet of climbing and forty miles one day. So yeah, that worked out. Anyway, I digress. What are some of the pros and some of the cons you guys have had so far of living up here? And I'm not going to buy it that there are no cons. Oh no, there's cons. Enrolling your children in school. Okay. The borough takes a long time to do the review to let you know if your kids have been accepted. Like, we're two weeks away from school. I can't finish school shopping because they haven't told me which kid, which school my kids are going to. Um, we also learn the school systems and which ones are good, which ones are overcrowded, which ones, you know, are the best ones to go to. You need to talk to people here because it yes. has changed. So someone, you know, that graduated from the school system even 15 years ago, really doesn't know what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Um, yeah. we, Talk to parents. Yeah, we right. actually you know, got in contact with parents, talked to them, 
found out what they were doing, why they were doing it. Yes. Um, Matsu, again, a plug for Matsu uh, Valley. The school district is amazing in that it has open enrollment across all of the yes. schools. You, you know, they're not going to send a bus out to your house to pick your kid up if you enroll in a school that's far away. But you do have the option of enrolling your child in whichever school that you want, um, and they'll they'll accommodate it. They don't want you switching back and forth constantly. It's pretty much like if you're new to the area, you tell them where, and they put them in there. Um, but you really have to talk to parents because even two schools next to each other, the the flavor of those schools will be completely different, different. Um, and especially if your child is, has anything um, special about them like even like high achiever like if you if your kid is super super smart you start talking to the parents they're like um, you know they your kid needs to go to this school as opposed to this school yeah. um, or if your child you know if you have a child with special needs um, they'll be quick to tell you, oh, yeah, these schools are really great. These other schools, you need to avoid those. Yeah. So um, there's a big difference. So that's a con because, you know, we're not most everywhere else. You, you just go to the school based on the zip code. Um, you don't have to think about it here. You know, you do have to think about it. Right. And then the question is, okay, do we have different kids in different schools? Exactly. And that, okay, that, that could be a... That could be a challenge if you got four kids. Yeah, you have yes. to do your research to see because, there, of course, there's always an elementary where there's a middle and a high school. So you have to see in the vicinity of which school you choose for the oldest if the other two are going to be able to be accommodated in that vicinity. Right. And if not, you have to make the choice and the decision of sitting your oldest down and telling your oldest, hey, I, we're going to talk about this. Let's discuss it if you're okay with being here. Because your siblings and you are going to be in a closer area versus you being here and then I have your siblings, you know, 10 miles away from you. Right. So you have to take that into consideration. So if any of the parents that are moving up here have teenagers, look into it. Talk to parents for sure. Make sure you do your research when it comes to the schools because it is a must. It is not something you can avoid, can ignore. Don't go off of what you read. Talk to somebody. Ask questions. Um, and then gas prices, um, there is a big difference in prices, you know, compared to the lower 48th year, gas is one of them. Um, you you yeah. really have to think about the vehicles that you have and what lifestyle you, you want. This is not the type of environment to where, you know, you want to have five different vehicles that you're insuring and storing at your house. and. And, you know, using, you really have to think about um, what do I want to do and then make sure that you have a vehicle, you know, that's capable of doing the stuff that you want um, because uh, yeah, that's the, it's expensive. You know, insurance was only, a, it was a fraction cheaper than Montana and, but Montana has pretty high insurance. So, so that would the, also depend on who your insurance carrier right. is as well, yeah. you know, so. He's a veteran, so it's a different type of insurance. It helps, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does. Um, and eggs are not as expensive as I thought they were. I know it's a weird thing to say. <laughs> milk is. Um, milk is. Fruit is a little bit more and expensive. And it goes, it goes bad quicker. Quickly. Mm -hmm. Way quicker, because it takes them longer to get it up here. So If I, you buy strawberries, eat them within two days. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is not going to be like buying in Florida. No, this yeah. is not no. buying in Florida or Montana no, where it, you can set it out and it'll sit for a week in the fridge unharmed. Yeah. You buy fruit, you're going to eat it in two to three days. If you buy right. fresh food, you need to, like, uh, fresh meat, you need to use it almost immediately. Yes. You can't leave it sitting in the fridge for three or four days and wait around to get to it. Yeah, I guess half of its shelf life was already used just getting there. So Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean... Pro-wise, I feel that coming from the lower 48 and living in so, so many different states, moving here, the food is actually not as expensive as we were led to believe. Grocery shopping, when you have four kids, is grocery shopping. It's expensive no matter what state well, at least you're in. in. in the Anchorage area <coughs> yeah. right. for us. Right. For us. Um, I know in Fairbanks, that's a completely different story. Story and <laughs> scenario. The location is key when it comes to Alaska shopping. Let me right. add that in there first. But I do feel that meat here is different because seafood, it's fresher. Well, you can actually get fresh seafood. It's yes. Not and it's, if you purchase it, it's because you're not fishing or you just don't want to go fishing. But still, it's fresh. It's right there. It's not frozen or anything like that, which is a benefit. Meat to me here and, you know, other products, I find them to be perfectly fine. I mean, it's coast i i enjoy the fact that we live here sorry <laughs> i don't mind paying a little bit more for groceries when i'm five minutes away from the supermarket that uh, that's a big trade-off yeah. yeah it is to me it is i'm okay and with that's it. the other pro there's so much variety I, I don't i can't unless someone comes from like los angeles or new york they would be used to this but for the rest of the united states um you have even in just wasilla Thai restaurants, mm -hmm. Chinese restaurants, Italian restaurants, Mexican. Uh, Mexican. And then the thing that will trip you out, and even in Anchorage, when you go into a Japanese restaurant, it's actually owned by a Japanese person. Um, when you go into a Mexican restaurant, it is a Mexican person that owns that Mexican restaurant. The diversity of people here is just amazing. I was telling my wife, I went to this little burrito place in Anchorage, and Everybody that worked in the restaurant, that ran the restaurant, were all Mexican. Um, they were all speaking Spanish in the back, doing the orders and stuff. And, and I, I was just—I called her laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, hey, I just <laughs> went into a Mexican restaurant, and guess what? It, everybody here is from Mexico. Imagine that. Went into a Japanese restaurant in, in Anchorage, and everybody that worked there was Japanese. Um, it's just amazing. So you get this huge variety just going from one little mom and pop restaurant to the next you cannot base them by the way that the building looks yeah because on the outside it'll be like this crummy little building and then you know you walk in and you're like holy cow and the menu is just amazing the food is amazing amazing service you know we didn't get that so you don't have that huge variety of uh, places to eat um, shopping you know, some things are limited, but if you learn to shop with the people that are here, like electronics, there's Best Buy here. Um, and Best Buy does a very good, if you want it, they can, they can get it to the store. You know, you might have to wait a little bit. Right. But if you see it online, they, they will get it. get it to the store, you know, so you're not missing out on anything like that. Um, you, of course, you have Walmart and, and Target, but there's so many local stores that you could go to yes. that it's surprising as well. So just the 
variety and the diversity. Walking around Anchorage, you see people from all over the globe that have moved here because they wanted to be here. That's another thing I say is different. You know, in Montana, you talk to people and you're like, oh, we kind of wound up in Montana. Um, here you talk to people and it's like, we've always wanted to come to Alaska. And these are people from like Syria that I was talking to. And I'm thinking in my mind, how in the world does someone from Syria know anything? But their whole family is here. It's not just like they wound up, like they brought everybody with them. It's just amazing, the diversity. Yeah, because you don't, I mean, the good thing, I'm glad you mentioned that, the people who are up here, usually they want to be here. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of some military folks, it's not their favorite assignment. Yeah. <laughs> but mostly you don't accidentally end up in Alaska. Yeah. It takes a lot of, I mean, you guys right. talked about the trip. You don't accidentally end drive up driving the Alcan. <laughs> yeah. It's not an accidental drive in any way, shape, or form. You have to choose it. You have to want to do it. And the cool thing about it is when you bring kids, when kids are involved in it, it's fun for them to see the differences because Taco Bell is like the most popular restaurant in the lower 48. It's like if you want real authentic food, come on, go to an authentic Mexican joint. But you go here and you take kids here and they're like, this is so good. Like <laughs> the taste, it's just different. The 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 diversity, it's uh, being a born and raised in New Yorker, you know, you call New York, it's a cesspot of cultures. Alaska's similar. It's just on the West Coast. It's a cesspool of differences, of diversity, of culture. You learn a lot here. You do a lot here. It's just, it's a very open place. It's not as closed off or secluded as people in the lower 48 think. So when we come from the lower 48 up here, it's a different experience. It's, I, it's a culture shock in some ways because there's so many more cultures. It's not just one, you know, representation of one. It's differences upon differences upon differences. And everybody wanted those differences to be here. Like it just And I'll bring up the other big thing. Um, the, the drug zombies, as I like to call them. They, you're always gonna have people, it's their life. They choose to want to abuse drugs and that is what they chose. You know, they, that's, they do stuff to uh, they'll petty crime, um, and uh, it's it's you know that's them. They are in Anchorage. It does drive a lot of the little petty crime and stuff, but it's almost all contained within their their own community. You know, it I'm it doesn't bother me one bit that if well, I'm driving to work and I see some dude passed out on the sidewalk. You know, I. The person made decisions in their life. There's tons of help for them. No one can sit here and tell me that, you know, they're helpless. And, no, there's tons of help. If they wanted to, they could get better. They choose not to. I don't let it bother me. Um, it, so you hear a lot about it. Of course, the news, that's all they're going to run because it's the only thing going on. It is literally the only thing going on right now. So the news, or without the weather, it, or the weather, yeah, or the weather. So without it, they would ha they wouldn't have a newscast. So of course, when you, if you look at the news, that's all you're going to hear about is really like a group of 500 people in a city of 270 thousand that s spend their life in and out of jail constantly, just a revolving door. 
you know, um, in the Massu Valley, it's not as bad. There's still those those spots to where you know these individuals are, and they do they impact people around them. But again, it's it's localized to that, you know. Um, so I wouldn't let people don't let that discourage you from coming out here and moving here. Yes, they're there. Yes, they're all probably always going to be there. You could give them a million dollars and put them in a mansion, and they would still be an alcohol abuser or a drug abuser. That, that's just who they are. That's how. And yeah, it, it's sad, you know, but there's nothing that you can do about it except for talk to your own kids, support your own family members, um, you know, try to help them. But I've heard so much about it. Uh, and then when we got here and be working in Anchorage, driving back and forth, and seeing it, you know, the people that, that have been here for a while, you know, it, they don't even really notice it anymore. You know, it's just doesn't bother them. So don't let that dissuade you from coming up here. It is not the same thing as, you know, uh, you know, organized crime activity that you have in other places where there's, you know, drug dealer shootouts and gang turf battles. and It is not that. Um, Anchorage doesn't have that. We've laughed so many times when people are like, yeah, this is the hood of Anchorage. Um, and we just laugh like these people don't even know what a, a hood is. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, see, uh, unless... Okay, I've done door knocking in the ghettos in San Antonio, so... Yeah, I know, exactly. I know, yeah, it's the area you're talking about really doesn't hold a candle to it. So, yeah, no. No, <laughs> no it's just a collection of... People who made bad decisions. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and then um, it's a lot of older houses. That's the oldest area within Anchorage. So you have a lot of houses. Probably one of the only areas where there's houses that were built in the 30s and 40s. That's another thing that we've noticed. Most of the neighborhoods, as you drive around Anchorage, Matsu, is all newer than that. You don't get a lot of those. So it's just a concentration of all these houses that were 30s and 40s. They didn't buy them. They get passed down. And people don't take care of them because it doesn't mean anything to them. So, you know, it looks like a mini junkyard through some of these neighborhoods. And the houses are in very poor condition. But, again, it's just that, that area. You know, you can go three blocks over and you'll see a brand new neighborhood with brand new construction, families running around and playing, you know. So, again, that was one of my things, you know, people were telling me, oh, you, you moved to Anchorage area? Yeah. Oh, there's, there's all these problems, all these people. No. Yeah. It takes two <laughs> halves. It takes two halves to make a whole. But just because the one half is not the same as the other doesn't mean that it still doesn't make a whole. Right. Regardless of the fact, it's still anchored. It's still part of Alaska. It shouldn't dissuade anybody from coming up here. The state has more than one quarter of itself. <laughs> it's yeah. A, yeah. It doesn't make up the entire state. One bad little area does not make up all of it. So. Yeah, yeah but it's one of those things where unless we have a lot of people start to get eaten by bears, that's going to continue to be the, the headline. There's nothing better to talk about. I mean, you know, there's that. I mean, we look at the weather. We watch the the news, and the kids are like, "Mom, it's the same thing." I'm like, "We just watch it for the weather." (laughs) 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 
Oh, that's awesome. All right. Well, guys, I really do appreciate you coming on and yeah, kind of sharing absolutely. your perspective and everything. I mean, I'm, I'm real happy to have you guys right down the road now. Um, we do have a meetup coming up at the end of this month. Yeah. We're going to be doing some big bonfire. I'll make sure, oh, cool. yeah, make sure you guys get the the uh, uh, the Facebook meetup invite for that. I'm trying to use that more so than just bombarding texting. everyone and texting, texting everyone about it. Except <laughs> I know that's going to get old real quick. Hey, so. You can text me. I don't mind it. I'm okay. okay with texting. I don't do Facebook that much, so it's okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll we'll make sure you get it either way. But yeah. do have that coming up, but. Um, again, thank you very much for joining us thank and um, everyone else. Um, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.